Another day Another dollar Makes you wonder where your money went You can scream Hi folks, Jack Spirko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't dictate it, as almost always the case, during my 50-mile commute between Arlington and Frisco, Texas, from my personal mobile studio. Today, the mobile studio is wrapped in a rain cloud and being rained on, and I'm driving my uh, mobile studio past numerous ass clouds, and I may have a long-awaited auto rant today because the stupidity is already building up, but enough of that for now. Again, this is episode 301 of the Survival Podcast. Today is Wednesday, October 21st, 2009, and the topic of today's show is going to be self-sufficiency versus self-reliance. What are the differences between the two, and how much do you want of either one in your own life? Is 100% self-sufficiency even possible or desirable? And what are the realms or ranges of self-sufficiency. That might not even make sense. It will by the time I'm done, I promise. But before that, we got to knock out some housekeeping today. Uh, number one, support our advertisers. Remember, our advertisers are personal endorsements. They go through a pretty strict screening process, and uh, only after that are they allowed on the site and to be mentioned on the show. Advertiser of the day number one is Sawtooth Tactical. Uh, these guys have really cool stuff, really great service, really great people behind the name. They will take care of you and just, you know, flat out, come on, guys, tactical is cool. And uh, they have some of the coolest tactical stuff out there. Uh, next is SQA Experts. Uh, these guys make some very innovative body armor products. I think you should check them out. If you know anybody in law enforcement uh, or anything like that, I really suggest you pass the side on to them. I think there's a good civilian... Uh, uh, a niche here as well, uh, people who want to uh, have additional methods of defense in the home and what have you. But I think this is really a product that every law enforcement officer in the world should look at and have his department take a look at because there's a lot of advantages beyond just a vest with this product. Uh, next, uh, make sure you're getting involved with our forum. I think you'll find if you join our forum, you're going to learn a lot. There's a tremendous amount of information there. There are great relationships that you'll form. Uh, You'll have friendships that will last a lifetime. Maybe some but some of them will be people you may never even press bombs with. Um, that's what happens in a good forum in a well-run community. And uh, I think that if you're not taking advantage of our forum, you're missing the boat there. Uh, real quick reminder, Ron Hood has a discount for TSP listeners of 10%. Uh, that discount will uh, will run out on Friday. So there's only two and a half days left. Uh, there will be a link in the show notes. Uh, he did this when he came on for an interview about two weeks ago. Uh, so for two weeks, you can get a 10% discount on any of Ron Hood's items uh, with discount code Jack Spirico. Uh, last but not least, if you think this show's worth more than 20 cents an episode, if you think it's worth more than two dimes every time you spend half an hour to an hour with me, consider joining the Member Support Brigade. You'll get exclusive content available only to members, including over $80 worth of retail value on day one. Alright, so with that, let's move on to the topic. Now, I want to give credit on this topic to two different parties. Uh, one is John McCann. Uh, John McCann, uh, who was nice enough to come on our show uh, the same week that Ron did, uh, who's 
the author of Build the Perfect Survival Kit. Third Time has a new forum, and over there he posed a question, what is the difference between self-sufficiency and self-reliance? We had a bit of a discussion on it, so I want to give him credit. I also want to give Dark Winter from our forum credit for this, because he sent me an email that was kind of the underlying pinning that spawned this show, uh, basically saying when he talks to people, he talks about self-sufficiency, like being prepared for disaster and all, and it's generally easy to get people to buy into it a little bit. When you start talking about self-sufficient or self-reliance, he gets people to, to listen to. Self-sufficiency, they start saying, I don't want to live like the Amish. So he asked me to do a show talking about the two subjects and explaining how you can be self-sufficient or partly self-sufficient without living like an Amish person. Not that there's anything wrong with being Amish, but you get the point. People want their modern conveniences, and do you have to give them up to be self-sufficient? And how many, you know, how far do you have to go with self-sufficiency to make it matter in your life? And I'm going to ask you some questions today, and I, I know that at least a few of the times I'm going to ask you questions, you're going to have an answer, and I'm going to tell you that that answer is probably not right, and it's going to challenge you, and then I'm going to tell you how I've analyzed it, and it'll change the way you think. Now, not, I may not change anything that you do, right? It may not change any actions that you take, but as you take your actions, you'll have a better fundamental understanding of why you're doing them and their inherent limitations, and that may help you better plan and develop your own plan, because that's what this show is always about. It's about you with your plan for self-reliance, your plan for self-sufficiency, your plan for independence, not mine. I am just the, you know, the, the purveyor of the information. You assemble it into whatever makes the most sense for you, and you use it as you see fit. So that's where we're going with this today. So let's start out with question number one. Then, If we're going to talk about the difference between being self-reliant and self-sufficient, and say those two things aren't the same, the first thing we better do is ask, well, what the heck does it mean to be self-reliant? Well, you ask the dictionary people, and they'll tell you basically self-reliant means being able to rely upon oneself when called upon to rely upon oneself. That's not the way they put it exactly, but that's what the definition means. In other words, if I get into a situation where the things that I've come to to utilize every day in my life or rely upon every day are removed from me, I can then take a self-reliant approach to getting back to a point of safety. If you watch people like Bear Grylls and Les Stroud, they go out and they perform self-reliance. And the reason it's self-reliance and not self-sufficiency, even though they're completely cut off, is their agenda is always what? To get home to get back to that helicopter or to get back to that rescue crew or what have you. All of those shows, at least up till now, that's what it's been about, getting by for a period of time. That's self-reliance. For the day-to-day person, self-reliance is I have my emergency kit, I have my bug-out bag, I have my evac plan, got a backup generator, got some food stored up, I'm self-reliant. If the, if the shit hits the fan, temporarily I can get by until the shit is no longer flying off the fan blades. Self-reliance, pretty simple. So to be self-reliant, most self-reliant individuals are still living within the system to a high degree. But they understand the limitations of that system, and they've determined, well, if the electricity goes off, here's my backup plan. If, If you take away everything that I come to expect on a daily basis, here's how I'll get by. But it's done more from a disaster planning mentality of, I'll get by until things get better. Okay, So then we have to turn around and say, well, what does it mean to be self-sufficient? 
And this is multi-layered. This is like, you know, a giant onion with layer upon layer upon layer. But let's look at it at its most basic answer. To be self-sufficient is to live outside of the systems and not need the systems of support at all. But this is where we start to get into layers. How far does that sphere extend? Let let me explain this to you. Let's start off with this thing about the Amish. Well, the Amish are self-sufficient. Are they? They depend on other families. They have little small communities. So we'll go deeper into this in a a little bit. And I'll explain to you how they're even less self-sufficient than this. But just on the surface, self-sufficient would be if you could completely live on your own with no help from anybody. Well, the Amish have a family unit, and then they have multi-families into the community, and the community depends upon each other. So even that self-sufficiency sphere extends out across a group. A fairly large group if you look at the total number of individuals within it. It's not a city, it's not a town. We're talking dozens, possibly even a hundred people or more in a single Amish community. So their self-sufficiency is as a group, but within the group there's interdependence. It's a healthy interdependence, but it's there. If you took one of you took one Amish person, sent him out in the middle of the woods, gave him a horse and a plow and no field to start off with, and no seeds, and said, Good luck, buddy, how well is he gonna do? So they are self sufficient as a community to a degree apart from the day-to-day things that we're dependent upon, but they have a great deal of dependence within their own community. Starts to really make you think if you dig into it. But before we go real deep into this topic, we're going to get deep today. Before we do that, let's say, why would you want to be self-reliant? That's that's an easier question than why would you want to be self-sufficient. So let's start there. Well, you'd want to be self-reliant for the same reason that just about everybody listens to this show listens to this show. Because you've looked around, you've assessed the situation, and you've determined that most people are dependent upon systems without being aware of it. And that's the first step toward becoming self-reliant. It is not cutting cutting the cord but it is understanding that the cord exists. In other words, how many people out there, if you talk to them about survivalism or disaster preparedness or storing food, their, their common reaction is, what could go wrong? And you just think, oh my God. Is there, is there any activity in that gray matter between your ears? What do you mean what could go wrong? And most of these people live sheltered lives, and they have a little bit of a snotty air about them. I hate to say that, but most of them do. Because the person that doesn't even acknowledge that anything could go wrong is sheltered. And they're sheltered beyond what is safe, beyond what is normal. I mean, that person should be asked, then why do you put your seatbelt on? Why do you you put your seatbelt on? Why do you lock the front door to your house? When you park your car in a parking lot, do you lock the doors? Why? What could go wrong? You know, do you walk down dark streets and dark alleys alone at night with no protection? No, why not? What could go wrong? See, and that's that's this cocoon. And the thing is, they're never on that dark street. They've never been on that dark street. But if they're sitting in their car with their spouse and they make a wrong turn one night and end up on the wrong side of town, they're the person that freaks the hell out. And that's why they're dangerous in a disaster. And that's the person that doesn't comprehend why you'd want to be self-reliant. I think most people, at least to a degree, 
have a desire for some level of self-reliance. They would like to believe that they would know what to do if they were put into a situation with an emergency, and they occasionally think about it. They just tend to not act. The truly self-reliant person becomes aware of this interdependence, realizes, hey, you know what? Truckers strike, food goes away. It's that simple. It's, it, it doesn't have to be any kind of Hollywood scenario. If all the truckers say, I've had enough of $7 a gallon diesel fuel, which could be in our near future, folks, hate to tell you, can't make any money, ain't no reason to leave the house if I can't make any money, park the rig, psh, food supply goes into turmoil. They just say, you know, these people around me, they don't get it, I do, I'm going to make sure that if that happens, those guys can't park forever, they have to eat too. They'll go back to work, but I'm going to be able to make it a couple months at least. Because I know that the people that control this, the drivers, would know they're going to strike, and they would stock themselves up prior to the strike. Or they'd take their truckload of food to their house. (laughs) So the self-reliant person just starts to become aware of all these things. And the reason you'd want to be self-reliant is so when something goes wrong, you are okay and the people around you are okay. So now let's ask a far more complicated question. Why would you want to be self-sufficient? It depends on how you view self-sufficiency and what you mean by self-sufficiency and how self-sufficient you're talking about. I want to be largely self-sufficient, but not 100% self-sufficient. As long as I'm doing this show, and as long as there's a monetary aspect of it, I'm dependent upon the sponsors and the supporting members to a degree. Does that make sense? So, if I get into a position where I have my bug out location, you know, fully paid off, solar energy, everything that I need, I could stay there and never leave. But if I'm using money for anything, and that money comes from doing this show, I am not completely self-sufficient because I am dependent upon you. Think about that, because I'm going to ask you a question that if you know the Derveas family in, in, in a little bit, it's going to make you think... And I want you to come to the conclusion on your own before I lead you there, because I just gave you everything you needed to know. Alright? But we want to be self-sufficient, because it allows us now to utilize the system as a form of entertainment. as an option. That's, that's for me. So if I get to a point where I really don't need anything from the system, I can produce my own energy and food to a large degree, then when I want a nice marbled steak from Kroger, and I go down to Kroger and buy it, I'm doing it by choice, which means I'm spending the resources that I choose to spend upon it. I'm not lulled into a situation where if that steak wasn't there, I'm going to starve. Now, how's that different from self-reliance? I'm living that way now, not just if something goes wrong. And when you start to ask these two questions, you start to realize things like self-reliance is a step towards self-sufficiency. You must first become self-reliant if you are ever to be any degree of self-sufficient. It is a gateway or an entry point into the self-sufficiency realm. You also start to figure out that there are what I call degrees of self sufficiency. And that being 100% again is probably not doable for most people or desirable for most people. So let's look at some what I would call degrees of self-sufficiency. Right now, probably one of the biggest expenses in your life is the mortgage on your house. When you pay that off and you don't have a debt on your home and you own your home free and clear, 
you've taken a step toward a huge degree of self-sufficiency. Why? Because now you don't have to go out and do work to earn money to cover the very existence that you take for granted of having a roof over your head and walls around you. It's gone. That requirement's gone. We live in a nation where we've allowed our government to run amok and tax the tax our brains out, though. So you still have to pay property taxes. So you're not 100% self-sufficient at that point. But, hey, you're, you're going in the right direction. One of your other biggest expenses is most likely energy. So if you start to produce your own energy... Even if you don't produce it all, but you start to produce some portion of your own energy, then you take another degree step toward a true self-sufficient lifestyle. So if you can produce 50% of the power that you use, then your day-to-day living you are 50% self-sufficient. If that 50% of sufficiency is enough for you to be reliant upon if the grid goes down, then you're only using the additional 50% by choice. This sounds like double talk. It's not, folks. I want you to get this. I want you to understand this. Because it will start changing the way you think about developing a self-sufficient lifestyle, an independent lifestyle. Let me say that again, then, maybe a little bit differently. If right now you're using, I don't know, 500 kilowatts of power a month, and 250 you're generating, and 250 you're buying, if 250 is enough to do the things you really need to do on a daily basis, and you could cut the cord to the power company, you just choose not to, you are self-sufficient, and you're choosing to just kind of bank a certain level of self-reliance. So what that means is energy is less important than food. Energy is for convenience, except you need to cook and keep yourself warm and things like that. But food, you need it or you die. So if you are able to produce half of your own food, that's still not enough to cut yourself off from the food grid, right? You're still dependent upon the food system. It's not necessarily bad. You're far less dependent than most people. So that's what I mean when I say there's degrees to self-sufficiency. There's levels of self-sufficiency that you can attain. And what it's important to do is to start asking yourself, how much self-sufficiency do I really want? And how much of this, this support system do I want to use as a form of entertainment? In other words, how many nicely marbled steaks do I want to eat a month? And how much deer meat do I want to eat a month? Or how how much chicken do I want to eat a month from my backyard versus how much Kentucky Fried Chicken do I want to eat a month? And then you you, you take on this hybrid approach of being somewhat self-sufficient and being self-sufficient enough to be self-reliant in a crisis situation. And I think that's the blended approach that I've been talking about from day one. So you have to start asking yourself, what things in your life right now do you view as necessities? Or if you're a parent, your children probably view as necessities. Are actually forms of entertainment that you will not necessarily stop using or give up, but you're going to put them into a different category mentally and say, I'm going to put together a lifestyle that supports these items, but I'm going to see them for what they really are, wants versus needs. And 
how much fun can you have that way? How can we change the human condition that we live in by looking at things this way? How many people get into their car every day just like I am? Right now it's raining, it's 63 degrees, it's gray, it's nasty. People are idiots on the road. I don't really want to go to the office. If it wasn't for talking to you people, I might go nuts and go postal on this road with these idiots out here. How many people do that every day with no real plan to get out of it? Even though they hate it. How many people are waiting till they're 70 years old or 65 years old to retire and live their golden years when their best living has kind of been used up? I don't mean that to put anybody down at 65 or 70. But you know what I'm saying. When you're 40, you like to consider doing things like running up the center of a mountain just to see what's on the top of it. Not many 70-year-olds can do that. Few can, but not many can. A lot of people die when they're in their 60s. Cancer, heart attacks, can't fly a car. There's so many things that can take us out before we ever reach that state. And that's why I did a show a while back on doing prepping as a form of retirement. You prep and become self-sufficient enough, you reduce your workload and your requirements. So I'm asking you again, how much fun could we have if we were all 50% self-sufficient? Just 50%. And then highly self-reliant for the other 50%. What would you be able to do with your life? under those conditions? How much more time would you be able to spend with the people you love under those conditions? Does that sound like living like the Amish? Or living like an old green hermit up in the mountains somewhere? You know, hiding out in a hole protecting his four lumps of gold that he found 25 years ago. Shaking his fist at anybody that comes by. Or does it sound like living the way that human beings are kind of meant to live? We start looking at some of the things we do to be self-sufficient, like growing our own food. Does that mean living the back-breaking life of a sharecropper from the Great Depression? Or does it mean planting, you know, a couple dozen crops around your home and on your property that are perennial in production, permaculture-type crops that produce for you every year fruits, nuts, berries, grapes? And then having a little salad garden on top of that. And then, you know, taking that self-sufficiency and starting to expand it into healthy interdependence. What's healthy interdependence? Let's talk about what's not healthy interdependence. Being dependent upon countries that don't really like us for our energy and food, not healthy dependence. Being dependent upon the farmer who lives 15 miles away from you and shows up every weekend at a farmer's market to sell directly to you, healthy dependence. You now have a degree of self-sufficiency because how far you have to rely upon and how many systems you rely upon to get your food has been cut down to a direct relationship between you and the producer. And the producer lives in your area. And as we start to take that approach, and we take this blended approach that I've always talked about, of self-reliance and self-sufficiency, we start to realize that it really is possible to be highly self-sufficient in the modern age if you use the system to get there. Yes, solar panels or wind generation equipment and battery backup systems to go with them are expensive. But they're expensive once. 
You pay for them once. They provide for you for years and years and years. We start to realize that, yes, stocking up six months to a year's worth of food in our home, of things that we eat and buy, you know, storing what we eat and eating with our store, is expensive. Once, the first time you do it, during the build-up phase, once you've built up, it saves you money, it saves you grief, it saves you time. We do not wake up in our home one day and go, I'd like to cook something today, and then go, oh, i got to run to the store for this one ingredient, and then buy six other things we really didn't need because we just had to be at the store. Because everything we need is there. doesn't mean we don't go to the grocery store you know, often. It just means we don't go as often as everybody else. And it means when we go, we don't have to buy anything. So we buy what's available at sale prices. And by doing that, we live a more self-sufficient life, even though we're not 100% self-sufficient. So let's talk about something that I uh, I got from the, uh, the the forum thread on the Dirt Time forum uh, from Dude McLean, who followed up my post uh, with his own post called "Defining Self Deceiving." And basically, what he said is that there's people out there that deceive themselves as to how well they'll be able to perform in a situation. They consider themselves self-reliant because self-reliant doesn't require you to do anything differently today other than plan for a system failure. So people believe that they're ready, and maybe they're not. And he didn't quite say this, but I think what he was getting at is do you test yourself? Do you test your self-sufficiency? And I think this is why Dude and a lot of people like him and a lot of people that I've had on his guest recently are big into wilderness survival. You must be self-sufficient during the time you're in the wilderness. Now, I call it self-reliance. They may differ with me. They may be right. But I don't see it as self-sufficiency. Self-sufficiency can be ongoing. And I know a lot of these guys say, I could stay out in the bush forever. But they always come home. And they always come sleep in that warm bed eventually. Why? Because it's a comfort situation for them. But the point they make that is extremely valid is when you go out into the woods, even if you go into a little campground 10 miles from your house, as long as you stay there and you don't bring anything beyond whatever the basics are you're bringing with you, you have to be self-sufficient while you're there. You don't have a choice unless you cheap out and get in your car and go pick some up. So I think Dude's point is valid if you're just going to be self-reliant and either just a tiny bit or a little bit self-sufficient, a couple degrees of self-sufficiency, and you've convinced yourself you're ready for the power to go out for three days, how do you know until it happens? Would you be better off if you tested yourself while you have the ability to turn the power back on? Should you just go out to your power box one day and throw the main breaker for a few hours and see what happens? Maybe. One of the first shows I did. That's what I suggested you do. That's way back episode like three or four. And I think there's a big point there. And I think the guys that are into the wilderness survival, holy God, I couldn't see, folks. Wow. All right. I was just water kicked up on the windshield and I was blind for about two seconds. All right, uh, let me get my breath. <laughs> Do you test yourself? I just got tested. 
You asked me, Jack, what would you do if the rain hit your window and you couldn't see for two seconds? I would decelerate slowly but not heavily and stay in a straight line based on whatever I saw the road doing before I went blind. And I got tested on it. That's what I had to do. So that's what I'm talking about. Real world here. So the thing that these wilderness survival folks do that I think we can really learn from, even if we're not wilderness survivalists ourselves, is they put themselves in situations where they are forced to be self-reliant, to test it to make sure they're not deceiving themselves. So if it's ever real, this is real world, not a drill, folks, right? They're actually ready, and they know that they're ready. So... With that in mind, I want to ask you an interesting question. I want you to think about this. And if you don't know who the Gervaises are, I'll explain a little bit for you. If you do, then this will be an easier question. It'll have a bigger impact. The Gervaises are a group of family that live in Southern California, uh, near Pasadena, I believe. And right off a major highway, they have a tenth of an acre residential lot like most of the people around them. They've transformed it into something amazing. They have solar powers on their solar panels on their roof, and they have an electric bill that's about 20 bucks a month on months where they actually have an electric bill. Sometimes the power company owes them money. They use hand crank appliances. They have very low energy draw needs beyond what the solar panels produce. They have a solar shower in the backyard where the water is warmed by the sun, and the shower that they take uh, then waters a lot of their plants, the, the, the refuse water, uh, fruit trees and stuff, not vegetables. So they've set that up so that it makes 100% use of the water that they use for cleaning. And they do that with just about any water waste that they produce other than sewer waste that can, can be used that way. As far as I know, their house is 100% paid for. Forget the property taxes when I ask this question. They grow between six and 8,000 pounds of food a year. They have small livestock, including ducks, chickens, and goats. They produce milk. They produce eggs. They're vegetarians. And then they take... They grow so much they can't even eat it all or store it all. So they sell it to local restaurants... They run their vehicles, their diesel vehicles, on biodiesel that they make themselves. It costs them about a dollar a gallon to make their biodiesel. They get it from the restaurants they sell their food to for next to nothing because they have the relationships from being there. Are their devices self-sufficient? Truly self-sufficient. Remember, if they're self-sufficient, they don't rely on anybody else. Well, the answer should be obvious at this point. Now, I bet you if you've ever watched their videos, you've thought these people take care of themselves, man. They're all right. They don't need anybody. But are you seeing it in a new light today? They sell the salad greens that they grow to restaurants that sell salads for $14 a salad. They don't make a lot of money. I think their total gross income a year is around $30,000 for four people. Three adult children and Mr. DeVace himself that run the little family micro farm, deliver the food, do all the work. But they have enough money to you know, pay those property taxes and you know, provide the chemicals that are necessary to make that biodiesel. And they get the oil to run their vehicles from those people. They, there's this entire economy around them of people that are willing to spend $14 for a salad 
that make their lifestyle where they're living today possible. If you destroy the economy around these folks, they will absolutely fare better than most of the people around them. They have a high degree of self-sufficiency. But are they truly 100% self-sufficient? Even within their own communities. Okay, well, let's let's see community-level self-sufficiency. They don't go very far from home. They go out to these little restaurants that are close, a few miles away. They only use, you know, a few gallons of that fuel a month. So they're confining their dependence to their community. Really? How many of the people that eat those $14 salads in that community are only dependent upon that community for their day-to-day needs? Almost none. Something that can happen in, in a far-off part of the world can have a huge impact on the Dervais' way of life. The difference is they have so much self-reliance built in with their degrees of self-sufficiency that they'll probably be able to weather anything. My only fear for them would be an intrusion hit the fan. They don't look like people that are prepared to truly, if necessary, defend their property. I could be totally wrong, and I hope to God I am. Because I already feel like these people are friends, even though I've never spoken to them directly. Because they've been such an inspiration to me. And the work that I do. But that would be my fear, that if their people were really hungry in the areas around them, because there was really a food shortage, it's one of the first places they would go. They've given tours. And I'm not saying they shouldn't do it. I'm glad they're public about it. But they sure, you know, Jules Dervais doesn't strike the kind of, me as the kind of guy that's going to be standing in front of his house with an 870 to defend his food if it's the last food that's in the area. And people would say, well, you know, he's the kind of guy that would share. Well, you can only share so much. If you share beyond what you have for yourself, you die too. So there's a certain point where you have to take care of those closest to you. And I worry for people like that. That's another part of why I don't see them as actually being self-sufficient. Because there are things that could happen that would take away from the sufficiency they've built for themselves. It's not bad. And the reason I talk about this today, I'm making you think today. I'm making you ask tough questions. I'm making you answer tough questions. I'm going deep into these topics as I have a question for you now as I get ready to close up. How self-sufficient are you? And how self-sufficient do you want to become? Leave the self-reliance out. Right, the self-reliance is all the things that you do in case you have to survive during an acute situation, be it a two-week situation or a six-month situation. Self-reliance is about being prepared to do without. On a day-to-day basis, how independent from the systems do you want to be? By choice. Do you want to produce your own energy? Do you want to produce all of it? Do you want to produce a part of it? How much is enough to give you the lifestyle that you want day to day? At the same time, you're increasing your self-reliance if something goes wrong. You see how this ties in to what I've been saying from day one? Better life, even if nothing ever goes wrong? That's what this is really all about. How independent from the transportation grid do you want to be? Do you want to be riding around on a horse? Or do you want to be able to get in your car and go buy a case of beer whenever you feel like it? Or go to a basketball game or a volleyball game? None of those things mean that you're not self-sufficient. It's about how much you need 
to be able to do that, to live for a long period of time, greater than a year. If you can live for a year, then you're about as self-sufficient as it's healthy to become. I want to finish up with answering a question somebody threw at me one time, and I guess I never got around to it. What is the difference between healthy and unhealthy dependence? You see, we are human beings, and as human beings, we live in collectives. We live in communities. People have asked me, Jack, why do you think if civilization ever burned to the ground that we would ever put it back together? Why it would ever come back? People say, I'm I'm overly optimistic for someone that knows as much as I know. To think that if the economy of the United States burned to the ground, we had an all-out, you know, blood-in-the-streets riots, all the black helicopter crap, all of it. And people just basically ran off and, and... we lost 90% of the people around us, or only 10% of us left. The most independent, self-reliant people survive. It's dangerous. Why would people rebuild? Because it's who we are. That's why we would rebuild. If you're listening to this show, you don't want to be completely alone. It's part of why you listen. If you're in our forum, you don't want to be completely alone. That's why you're involved in forums. That's why you're sharing information. Even if you live in a very remote area with only a few people around you, the very fact that you're online listening to a podcast is you reaching out to others. You're just looking out to reach out to others that have common values and interests to you. That's what society is built on, is our commonalities, not our differences. When we meet a new person... We asked six six common questions. Where do you work? What do you do? Are you married? Do you have kids? How old are they? What do you like to do for hobbies or for fun? Because if you ask any person those six questions, any person, you're going to find commonalities. And when we meet new people, we seek those commonalities... And that leads us into relationships with people that have commonalities that are based on common values. That's how we choose. And that's how societies get formed. People get together, they start to realize that there's great commonality between them, that they can do more together than alone, and they build communities. If I took a hundred random people and dumped them on an island, they didn't even know about each other when I dumped them there. I just you know, went around with a boat and I dumped, you know, had them blindfolded, and every hundred yards I threw one on shore. Until there were a hundred on that island. Very skill sets. Gave them a little bit of stuff so that they could survive. Let's say enough food was stocked there so that they could survive for three months on the reserves. Those hundred people could make it that long without having to kill each other. And there were enough resources on the island that if they figured out how to exploit them, it would be an island that could support a population of a couple hundred, let's say. I came back two years later. There'd be new children on the island. There'd be marriages. There'd be some form of a government. There'd be some form of an educational system. There'd be some type of trade hierarchy. There would be a society. It would be a society that is both self-sufficient and dependent. As an island, they would have to be self-sufficient. They wouldn't have a choice. Let's say I barricade the water around the island. They can't leave and no one can get on. Well, there's no supplies coming in. No one can leave and go somewhere else and bring anything back. They've got to make do with what they have. But if I went in after the society was set up two years later, 
and I took 50% of the people at random off the island, I would create massive chaos because they would have developed a healthy dependence upon each other. And if you think about it, folks, that's our planet. That's how Earth works. Earth is an island. It's a huge island. There's not 100 people on it or 200 people on it. There's like 6 billion people on it. But we don't get any more than we have here, do we? We can't jump in a rocket ship and head off to the asteroid belt and pick up some oil so we can make more gasoline. If it gets too cold outside, we can't reach outside, turn the sun up, make it a little bit warmer. If it gets too hot, we can't turn it down. We have finite resources. And therefore, much of the time that human beings on are, have been on Earth, they've developed small communities with healthy interdependence, with a large degree of self-sufficiency and a high degree of self-reliance. It is only in our modern era where we have separated ourselves from the most basic components of being a human being. What the ground feels like under your feet when you're not wearing shoes. The taste of a a vegetable or a fruit or a nut the second that it comes off the vine or the branch. The scent of an animal that you are hunting as a true predator. The sound in the forest without the distant hum of traffic. The compassion for a fellow human being without the media putting the cherry on top of the Sympathy Sunday. 200 years that we've really separated ourselves from those things. And those have blinded us to the meanings of both self-reliance and self-sufficiency. And because of that, we live in a world where when you talk about these things, you're seen as crazy, or nuts, or insane, or... Even if a person looks at you and says, you're not crazy, you're nuts, I don't want that. People have become convinced that they don't want self-sufficiency. That they don't want self-reliance. That's a bullshit lie. And I can't put it any other way. That's exactly what it is. Every human being craves self-reliance. Craves self-sufficiency. They just crave it in a way that makes sense, that involves other people with a healthy interdependence based on common values. It's the foundation of America. There was a common thread. Hundreds of languages, hundreds of cultures, hundreds of backgrounds coming to one nation to create a new nation. But a common set of values. All men are created equal. All men are created equal. Even when we weren't living up to it, at least we said it. That was the dream. That was the ideal that we were working towards. Everybody is entitled to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That sounds so simple today. Everybody's entitled to life? You know what, folks? When the United States was founded, there were parts in the world where you were not entitled to your life. A leader could take your life because he felt like it. The old stuff with the king off with his head? That used to happen. And in the middle of this came a group of people that said, no, human beings have a right to their life. No one should be able to just take your life from you because of who they are or what their birthright is. A right to liberty. 
That liberty means so much, and we've lost what it means. That liberty is not just your ability to walk around. To be liberated, you must have the right to property that can't be taken from you. We've lost that too. Our government consumes 50 to 60% of the individual's output. Think about that. You go to work, you do something you don't want to do, you deal with crap, you deal with traffic, you put stress on your life, you shorten your years, you deal with a boss, you are the boss, you deal with the employee. That's harder for you employees that have never been really in charge of people. You don't even realize that. The guy you work for, you think is a jerk, he's probably going nuts having to deal with your crap on a daily basis. One way or another, you're on either side of that equation, and the government sucks up 50 to 60% of what you have. That robbed you of your self-reliance and your self-sufficiency. It's why people are miserable in this world. So I ask you again, how much self-sufficiency do you want? How much self-reliance do you want? Who are you willing to enter choosingly into a relationship of dependence with, and who do you no longer wish to be dependent upon? That may be a better question. Sound confusing? It's not. All I'm saying to you is right now you're dependent on a government that lies to you, steals from you, and takes from you. You're dependent on a corporate apparatus that values their profit over their delivery and their service to you. And government can't fix it, and the corporations won't fix it. So who can? Who's responsible for your life more than anybody else? No matter how pissed off you are at a Congress congressman or a senator or a president or a Supreme Court justice, who has the biggest impact in your life? You or them. And as captain of your own ship, as master of your own life, how much do you want? How are you going to get it? Notice I'm not telling you what to do or how much you should have. That's not liberty. That's not a right to liberty. A right to liberty is where I say to you, you Look at what you have. You decide how much more you want, and you go get it. And as long as you don't infringe upon my rights to get there, whatever you have, I am totally okay with. And I ask only that you look back to me, and you afford me the same freedoms. So, self-sufficiency, self-reliance. If you're an American, look at your Constitution. Look at your Declaration of Independence. Look at the, the works and the writings of the Founding Fathers. That's what it's all about, folks. That's what this nation used to be. Self-reliant, independent, and self-sufficient to a large degree. We were a nation that was supposed to have alliances with none and commerce with all. We were supposed to get into entangling alliances. That was the dreams of our forefathers. And this guy's a jerk, folks. Cut me off in the rain. You idiot. I'm not going to go there. I want to finish up strong today. But that's really what it's all about, is that healthy relationship that you can form with the people that are around you, with your neighbors, with your community, with your family, with your friends. If you go to church, with your church. If you're a member of any kind of club or organization with those people, that fraternity, that brotherhood, the sisterhood that exists between all men, that's what it's really all about. And when I ask you how much self-sufficiency do you want in your life, I'm not talking about just your ability to close a gate on a piece of property and stand alone as an island. I'm asking you how much self-sufficiency do you want back for yourself and the people around you. Start to think about it that way. It will start to lead you down a path 
toward both greater self-sufficiency and greater self-reliance. And the beauty of that journey is I don't have to tell you, well, go out and plant a garden and plant permaculture crops. Figure out ways to become more energy independent. Figure out ways to do business with your community. If you start that journey, if you say to yourself, I want to be more self-sufficient, more self-reliant, and I want my community to be more self-sufficient, more self-reliant, I understand complete, total, 100% freedom, uh, self-sufficiency is probably not possible or desirable, but I want some degree of it. I want to be part of that for other people. You'll, you'll go right to those things on your own. They'll lead you right there. And you'll pick and choose the portions of each and how much you want of each. That'll make it yours. That'll make it genuine. That'll make it work. And we'll go back to the old adage, if you want to change your nation, first you change yourself. And that's really, really what being self-sufficient is all about. Understanding not just can I be self-sufficient alone, but what choice am I making willingly instead of blindly as to my interaction with those around me? You start thinking that way, you start asking those questions. I don't have to tell you you've been lied to or misled. I don't have to tell you that most people are asleep. I don't have to tell you that most people have their head in the sand. It becomes immediately obvious to the most casual observer that most people have their head, not in the sand, but up their ass. But it's not their fault. They've been born into a system that people that lived a hard life dreamed of creating one day, but never dreamed of the turmoil and chaos and deceit that it would unleash. They didn't understand the power of the genie that they were letting out of the bottle. But there's wonderful things that have been created by technological evolution. There is wonderful things that have been created by having stable, well-run societies. There are wonderful things that have been created because we have people willing to fight wars for us on both foreign soil and in our own backyard through the enforcement of law. And there's abuses in all of these things as well. But we do them to ourselves. My goal in creating as many self-reliant and highly self-sufficient individuals in this country is that I don't have to worry about politics. I don't have to worry about economics. If I help people get to that conclusion on their own, they will each, within their sphere of influence, make change. And I trust enough in my fellow Americans to believe that that's all that's necessary. And I got all that from one question. What is the difference between self-reliance and self-sufficiency? The reality is the difference is interesting to discuss, but it really doesn't matter. What matters is you and what you want. And all I'm suggesting is that you take your God-given rights as an American and stand up and say, I have the rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and damn it, I'm going to pursue that happiness. And you're never going to really have happiness unless you have some level of ability to take care of yourself, no matter what goes wrong, and know that if the things that you enjoy having some dependence upon ever go away, you're going to be able to take care of not just yourself, but the people that you love and care about the most. Take that journey. It'll be a great step in the right direction. This is with Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. You can scream and you can holler. It really doesn't matter because it 
all gets spent 